Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. Welcome to Mary Ann Live. I'm Mary Ann Camarado, and I like to say great relations and great relationships begin within. And then this morning I was thinking, what, where is that exactly? Where, what is the in? And who's in there? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, our guest today, um, who's joining us, Tom Sterner, we're, we're going to be talking about that very thing, this whole conversation that's been going on for, you know, I don't know how many decades now, but this mindfulness practice in all of its iterations, our guest has a very specific way that he wants you to be fully engaged with your mind. And, you know, we're going to flesh some of this out. What does that mean? Where is mind? How do we access it? Under what circumstances is it easier, et cetera? But one of the things I love about him already, and having read his book, is he is devoted to practice, having a practice, cultivating a practice, deepening your practice, expanding a practice, understanding what it even means. So wherever you are at with your practice, I invite you to maybe include or enjoy part of what we do at the top of every hour, which is to try to get present so we can receive our guest's presence, right? And one easy way to do that is to just find your breath. Just bring your attention to wherever your breath is, breathing in your body. (sighs) Yeah, sometimes you will even take a breath just to find out where it is. Is it in your belly, in your chest? Can you feel the air moving through your nostrils or in and out of your mouth? Yeah, just like that. So simple. And I'm not saying you're going to like what you find. We just want to notice it. Oh, here I am. Here's my breath. Right? Just as a portal is an entry point to practice, it's free. You don't have to sign up for coaching to find your breath or get a therapist or do anything. This is natural. It's innate. And turning our attention towards it is a practice. We can do it all day long. I find it's a wonderful way to reboot. So just go ahead and enjoy the gift of your own attention, breathing in and out, feeling your breath. My shoulders usually, like, drop 10 inches when I bring my attention to my breath away from my earlobes. That's, like, the first thing I notice, and my nervous system just starts to relax and unwind just a little bit. I don't know what you're noticing, but 
keep paying attention. And the other part of our practice we like to do at the top of the hour is cultivate um, an attitude or a perspective of gratitude. This is not an easy thing to do. Yet, I don't know about you, when we do achieve it, everything shifts. doesn't matter what's going on. All of a sudden, that microscope that's so focused on whatever we think is so important that actually is so important, if we just pull the microscope out just a little bit, just notice what happens. And one of the ways that I like to invite you to do that and that I try to do is um, finding a portal, right, an, an entree into the conversation. Sometimes just saying these things, their theories and, and, and ideas, they just get lost in the clutter of the mind. I really like the action piece. How do I engage with gratitude? Well, one of the things I like are inquiry questions. So here's one for you. Who helped make it possible for you to do what you're doing right now? Breathing. Digesting your food, the clothes on your back, the electronics that you use. Pick any one of those places or anything else you like and just notice what comes up on your radar. One person, ten people, a hundred people, thousands of people helped make it possible for you to do whatever you're doing. Maybe you're healing right now. Maybe you're trying to find your way out of the dark. Who's helping you? Who's been helping you? And man, just notice what that feels like. Oh, I have had support to do this thing that often escapes me. You know, gratitude is something that we cultivate, and as our guest um, is going to talk with us more about, Tom Sterner, it's how we practice, the simple ways we practice, and then they become part of the way we move through the world, what informs all the rest of our decisions. So if we're breathing and we have access to some gratitude, and trust me when I say, I get it, This is a, these are hard times. You know, the 80s were good times. <laughs> these are hard, challenging times. And we need to find ways to find our practice tools and skills and use them. So uh, some of the folks who make this program possible, talking about my gratitude list, uh, on the global level is the uh, One World Children's Fund dot org. If you're online, uniting people to improve the lives of children affected by poverty. At the national level, we're supported by the National Action Organization, committed to changing the way our culture values each other. 100% of the proceeds goes to programming just like this. And at the local level, we've got the Open Secret Bookstore in San Rafael, California. If you're in Northern California and you like bookstores. Um, check them out. They've been supporting our program for about uh, over a decade now. All right, people, breathing, finding a way to your gratitude. And you're trying to get present here because we know what's on deck. How to be fully engaged is the title of our author, our guest, Tom Sterner's uh, new book, Using the Practicing Mind in Daily Life. So we're going to be talking about this hour. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest because you took your time to be here. Trust me, this hour you're going to get what you came for because you're present and open and available and breathing in and out, which is always good. Uh, Tom Sterner is the author of Fully Engaged and The Practicing Mind. I know a lot of you have read that book. Um, he's uh, an accomplished 
musician, composer, and technician in various fields of music, and as a recording and audio engineer and as an athletic pursuits from archery to golf, which I want to hear about. I love meeting archers. Uh, he speaks around the world on developing focus and discipline. So that's what his book uh, is going to bring to us. How do we focus our mind? How do we cultivate the discipline? And he asks the question, are you fully engaged? Are you present in this moment? Are you completely content? Well, our culture encourages our minds to be overactive, anxious, longing for the future, or regretting the past. Well, Thomas Sterner's best-selling author, as we said, The Practicing Mind, shows us how simple shifts in perspective, such as learning to center our attention on the process of what we're doing instead of what we're trying to achieve, using goals as guides instead of reminders of what is left to be done and learning to work without judgment about the process. This, he says, can completely transform the experience of going through each day. And he's joining us today to talk about how we can do that. And I'll tell you, we're ready. We've got, we are poised, we're breathing in and out, Tom, and we're so glad you're here. We need you. Welcome <laughs> to the program. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. So, Tom, uh, personal question. I'm assuming that your mind uh, was not always as poised uh, as it is now. Uh, Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, when I was younger, I was um, very much right brain, so I was very creative, and my mind was always looking at the next shiny object and and taking me there. And I think what saved me from a lifetime of being an underachiever was, uh, and also was certainly a a level of um, discontent. Uh, which would come from that would be that I was aware I was there was a part of me that was very connected to the observer within and that's something we need to talk about because we need to be more connected to the observer than our ego because the observer the noticer is really who we are and that is as you've been talking um, and, and very well articulating this thing about breath you know we can call that meditation I've called it thought awareness training just to make people uh, understand that as you go through that process and your mind slows down your thoughts thin out what will happen is you will become more the noticer of the thought and less of the participant of the thought and all the emotional content that the thought brings you so for me by the time I was I guess a senior in high school I was very aware of this behavior behavior that I repeated over and over again, which was um, to decide I wanted to accomplish a specific goal, to launch into it with a, a very high level of intensity, to burn up that initial level of intensity, and then to drop into uh, boredom and a lack of focus and a lack of discipline, and then uh, make up excuses to myself, and then eventually give up on it and go on to something else. And I think everybody can relate to that, whether it's losing weight, exercise programs, learning a new skill. Um, we all go through that process and many times without any awareness that we're even doing it. So I knew by the time I was a senior in high school that I had to change that or else I had no self-power. If I couldn't choose a goal that I wanted to accomplish and see it through, then uh, I really had no self-power. And I also felt like I should be able to enjoy that. I should be able to enjoy learning to play the piano, for example. Uh, It should be something that if I'm choosing to do this, why am I wanting to do this? And then I start taking lessons, and then I drop off of it because I feel like I don't practice. I don't want to practice. 
so that was the thing that I had to change. And when I got into college, I somebody uh, very close to me was taking a philosophy course, and he handed me a philosophy of the world book from his course. And I started reading about Eastern thought and Zen and all those types of things. And I was fascinated by this present moment mindfulness stuff, and I started to apply it to uh, myself and how I approach things. And I saw a real difference in what I was capable of accomplishing. And then I began to get into uh, golf, and I became fascinated with sports psychology, peak performance studies, and I pretty quickly realized that they were just two sides of the same coin. And one was a philosophy that had been around for thousands of years. The other was uh, we were all these people were saying we have discovered that um, through our empirical studies at universities, etc., that this is how we accomplish the most with the least amount of effort. And I think the most important thing is that while we're accomplishing it, our experience of that is one of con- is contentment and patience and joy at being where we're at right in this moment. So we know that. I mean, and I think it's important that the listeners know that we know this through uh, not only stuff that's been around for thousands of years, but all the studies. In fact, you are not competitive in sports like golf or archery anymore unless you know you, you focus all of your effort on being in the present moment and being very mindful of what you're doing. So that was how I started out, and it just became more and more a part of my life and the more I learned about it and the more successful it made me and the more it changed my experience of everything I was doing, the more I wanted to learn about it. So it it just kept self-perpetuating. And then eventually I thought I could see such a change in my life. And when I was younger, I just... I felt I was extremely undisciplined. By the time I was in my mid-20s, everybody was telling me I was the most disciplined person they knew, and I thought it was kind of funny because I didn't really see myself that way. And then I began to look at, well, what what has really changed and how did I get from there to here? And that's how I've ended up in front of you. Beautiful. And um, that positive reinforcement, as they say, it really does make a difference. When we experience the benefits of a practice, we're going to keep wanting to cultivate that which works. The, the key, as you said, is, is bringing our, our, our awareness to what is working, right? So let's back up and talk about that first piece, which is cultivating the witness. This is a really big part of the practice that you teach. Um, some folks might be really familiar with that, Tom, um, making that differentiation between the who's talking in my head and who's listening. So let's talk a little bit more about that. How do we cultivate that? What's a good way into that? Well, the only way that I know of through all the studies that I've done and pretty much what everybody else has done is through a practice. You can There's just labels for it. You can call it meditation if you want. You can call it thought awareness training. It's whatever you want. But the, it's... Um, our minds are so agitated and overstimulated um, all day long because the media is connected to us all the time. We have these mobile devices. So our mind is always being stirred up to have more um, more activity, more dialogue, more, more conversations with itself. And we don't realize that we are not the conversation. And most of the time our mind is... Um, our mind is a thought machine. I mean, its job is to solve problems. It is separate from us, and uh, we don't really realize that. In fact, I usually, when I work with people, I, uh, the first thing I ask them to do is sit in a chair for two minutes, close their eyes, and stop thinking. And what happens when they do that is they realize that 
even when they will their mind to stop thinking, it won't stop thinking. And it's the first time that they have this kind of epiphany that, well, if I can't make it stop thinking, what is it doing all day without my permission? Uh, I, they tend to relate, uh, identify themselves with their thoughts, and that isn't who you are. And so the mind, we need our mind to be a problem solver. That's the reason why we don't live in caves. And we can also look at all the wonderful art and music and all the technology that we have. That's come from a mind that is creative and wants to think. But if we're not in charge of what it's doing and what direction it's taking and what it's focusing on, then we're just basically a puppet of whatever realm it's visiting, which is pretty much how most of us spend our day. Our mind goes over here and thinks about something we have to do later on today, and it's something that is scary or um, makes us angry, and then we feel angry or we feel scared or we feel impatient. All these types of things, we're just basically participating and absorbed in the thought that our mind is producing. So it's a real experience to learn that you are not your thought. You have thoughts. Some of those thoughts you initiate intentionally, but the majority of them your mind is just producing. And they, they know this through studies. The mind produces so many thousands and thousands of thoughts. Most of them are thoughts that it's just ruminating. It's just repeating the same thoughts over and over again. So what we do, um, as you said, we follow our breath, or you can use a, a short phrase, a phrase-based uh, meditation. I tell people you really need to, to practice sitting down every day and start with just 10 minutes. You know, pick amount of time that you know you can handle, and anybody can find 10 minutes in their day. And, and just watch your body breathe. And I think it's important to make this point that what will happen, because we're so performance-oriented, uh, and that's what's reinforced with us all day, is we will want to be good at it, what we, we call good at it. And there is no such thing as a bad meditation, but what we will want to do is have no thoughts. We will want to stop our thinking, and then we can feel like, ah, I've accomplished this, I've mastered this. And that's not how meditation works. Meditation is its no different than physical exercise. You know, you don't get to a point in physical exercise where you say, well, I've mastered exercise, I don't need to do it for the rest of my life. It's part of maintaining your body. And meditation, thought awareness training, whatever you want to call it, is part of maintaining your ability to separate yourself from your thoughts and to control your mind and the direction that it goes and what it's, it's spending its time and energy on. So by doing this, uh, what will happen is some days your mind is going to be very active and other days it's not. And that's just all a normal flow of meditation of a meditation practice. And I think it's also important, when I talk to people, they say, well, I'm just not very good at it. And when you ask them to define why they feel that way, they say, well, because I'm always chasing my mind. And my response is, well, you can't be chasing your mind if you're not noticing what your mind is doing. And that means that you're doing very well. And that's the reason, you know, every time you catch your mind running off and going in a direction, and that's really what happens, you say, I'm just going to watch my breath, or I'm just going to say my phrase, uh, hear my phrase in my head. You start out doing that, and within maybe 30 seconds, you wake up and you're at the hardware store or at the grocery store or working on a report at work or having a conversation with someone, and you realize you're not paying attention to your breath anymore. And it's in that microsecond that your consciousness expands, your self-awareness expands, your um, your attachment to the observer, to the witness expands. In that moment, that's when it happens, in that, that microsecond. And when you pull your mind back, your discipline, your strength, your um, spiritual stamina, however you want to define it, grows. So when you have a day where your mind is very active and you feel like you're chasing it a lot, you're really just getting a lot of reps in. And it's it's not a bad thing at all. Let's, let's talk a little bit about because I'm also hearing that the that the way that the um, witness 
gets fooled or faked out by the mind includes when we attach to a thought, we start thinking that thought is real. And they're all the different shapes those thoughts can take, like I'm doing it wrong or, you know, whatever it is we get swept away with, right? But coming back to the witness, that, that one differentiation is critical, right? That's the practice. Just keep coming back to the watcher, keep coming back to the witness, right? Is that, that's what you're saying? Absolutely. And there is no judgment. Right. You know, there is no judgment. There, the mind, like I said, will go into search mode. Uh, if you don't give it something to think about, it's gonna, it'll manufacture something to think about. It will go out and look for something to think about. And there certainly is plenty, plenty for it to think yeah. about in the world today. Yeah. So we're going to go to break in a minute, Tom. One of the other, a couple of the other things that I think um, I noticed over the years that isn't spoken about as often is the the actual body sensation level, the emotions, and the feeling body. You know those those subtle bodies um, that people often will stay up in the thinking mind to avoid. I'm curious what your thoughts are about that when we do come into the territory of the emotional, physical, sensation body. When we get back right after these messages, more with Thomas Sterner right here on Marion Law. Don't touch that dial, everybody. Keep breathing in and out. Just notice what happens during the break. We'll be right back right after these messages. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've ordered No No More More Love Love Life Drama Drama for Us. Hi, everybody. I'm relationship expert and radio talk show host Marianne Camarado. And I'm David Raynaud. We want to talk to you for a minute about the changing world of dating and relationships and how self-inquiry can help. Honey, did you know that 44% of the U.S. population is single and over 50% end in divorce yet? We spend an average of one-third of our lives trying to find a great relationship or get help with the ones we already have. Yep, that's exactly why we created the first ever of its kind, the Great Relationships Begin Within Self-Inquiry Divination Deck, because we know what it takes to attract and create a healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationship. And it's really simple. Sit quietly, close your eyes, turn your attention inward, and draw a card. You can go online right now and get a free reading on Marianne Lide and try out the cards. And for under $20, what better way to give yourself a gift of your own attention? We wish you every blessing. We'll see you next time. Check out MarianneLive.com. Music, information, and friends. HealthyLife.net. Everybody, are you breathing in and out? Are you fully engaged in this program? I think you're multitasking. I can hear some people doing some stuff. You're doing, put that down. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> just notice, no judgment. Look at Tom Sterner's with us today. He's written a book, Fully Engaged, Using the Practicing Mind in Daily Life. How can we be fully engaged? Why do we need to be? 
Tom. I mean, like, like we just said, multitasking is the new black, right? I mean, we uh, that's just what we do. We have to do it to get stuff done. What you're saying is we need to be focused and present. Uh, that seems sort of the antithesis of uh, what is required to manage so much of what's on our plate today. Let's talk about that. Well, you know, and it really all the research shows that the, the multitasking is actually mislabeled. They call it now switch tasking. And the reason they do that is because the mind actually starts up and shuts down every time you change task. And even with things that you don't think would be multitasking. So, for example, um, there's a, a book out called The Myth of Multitasking by a, name, a guy named Dave Crenshaw that I, I actually had a radio show years ago and Dave was on. It was very interesting. And he gives an experiment in this book that was done, and it's where you just write down the sentence, multitasking is worse than a lie. And then the very first time you write it, you start a clock on this, and the very first time you write it, you write the letter M, and you number each letter. So you go M, and then underneath of it, you write a 1, and then U, 2, L, 3, and you go across the page until you've written this. And I, don't, I can't remember, it's about 35 letters. And you time that, and then you go back, and then you just write the sentence, multitasking is worse than a lie, and underneath of that, then you write 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. And what you find out is that just that nothing there changes your performance by a huge amount. It's like um, about 35 percent. So that's you know you would think that if you're just writing M one U two that you're not multitasking, but to your brain you are multitasking. You're switch tasking. It has to think letter and then think number, and it has to turn on, shut off, turn on, shut off. And this is very exhausting. And that's the reason why you know from a performance standpoint we're realizing that this is counterproductive in in all areas of our life, particularly in the corporate world where they're handing people all this stuff to do. They're not getting more out of their people. They're actually getting less, mm -hmm. and the people are burned out when they go home. So I think it's really important that we, we understand that that is not the way to work. So to me, when you're fully engaged, it means that you are completely absorbed with what is in front of you, which means that you have total access to your whole consciousness in this moment. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why when you're fully engaged, it's, um, it, you feel so much more content and you, there isn't any judgment going on because you're just working on whatever it is that you're working. So there's all this, your thoughts slow down, your mind thins out, and your productivity goes way up, your performance goes way up, and your, um, your exhaustion goes way down. All right, well, let's talk about what we, thanks for that. I really love that switch tasking and, uh, again, uh, really paying attention to uh, our beliefs, what we think we know. Good to, good to challenge that from time to time. Um, <clears throat> on that note, let's talk about what we were saying right before the break, which was emotion, feeling, body sensation. Where does that play into uh, mindfulness practice and your practice in particular? What happens when you come across a pocket of feeling or emotion or intuition for that matter? How does this play in? Well, you know, I certainly am not like anybody, uh, not unlike anybody else. I mean, part of the problem when you write the type of books I do is everybody thinks you're, you're on all the time. And, um, you know, I've had situations where, uh, you know, I'm sitting at the kitchen table and I go into a rant and my daughter slides my book across the table at me and says, you need to read Chapter 7. And so, you know, I, it's... <laughs> It's not like I don't experience what everybody else has experienced. That's what, you know, made me want to understand this stuff more. But for me, when, you, when you're talking about an emotion, an emotion is, con is the content. It's, it's actually the consequence of a thought. It's the energy that's in a thought. You know, if you have a sad thought. You know, I ask people, if you didn't think 
could you feel stress? No, because the thought always comes first. Thought is the conduit. That's how the energy gets to you. So as you become more aware and separate from your thoughts and you start to gain more control over what thoughts your mind is producing, then what happens is you begin to separate for me, from the experience of the emotion, because you're watching your thoughts instead of experiencing your thoughts. And that's really what happens without your effort when you begin a meditation practice is that and that's the benefit of it you know the the um it may feel scary when you first go in into a meditation like that because you're more aware of some of this emotional content because you're actually putting your attention to where you're watching your mind think as opposed to trying to distract yourself with other types of thinking but what really happens over a period of time, and it really isn't that long, I don't know, a couple of weeks or so, when you do this on a daily basis, you what you experience is you begin to really notice that I'm not my thoughts. I'm the one who is having these thoughts. My mind is producing these thoughts. And when that occurs, you begin to see the difference. You, you know, it's direct experience. It's, there's really, it's difficult to describe, but you begin to experience the difference between having a thought and be, just being in the thought itself. And then you begin, you, to me, you gain the privilege of choice. Okay. You know, you know now... Go ahead. Yeah, I'm just going to jump in and say, okay, so this is sort of off the wall, but let's say I just reached through Skype because we're both on Skype and I smacked you. <laughs> just slap. <laughs> okay, your emotion is going to be preceded by a thought about what I just did because I'm thinking the body sensation is going to hit first. Uh, or let's say your eyes are closed and you don't expect it so you can't see it coming and I just slapped you across the face. Uh, I'm thinking that the feeling, the sensation came first. Tell me about that. Well, in that re- in that example, yes, the sensation did come first, but the reaction to it is a thought. And uh, what I have experienced uh, myself is that the time between the reaction and the thought lengthens through um that's where the choice comes in you know because you begin to detach from the emotion so there is a there is more of a lag there between when you slap me in the face and i make a decision whether i'm going to slap you back or whether i'm just going to think about what just happened you like um so it's you know it's a difficult thing to 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 describe because it's it's like trying to describe i would say it, it, the experience is it, it, any any real experience it's like like falling in love you know like how do you describe that to somebody well you have to experience it you know i mean in order for you to understand it and, and then once you experience it somebody doesn't have to explain it to you um so it's to me it's similar in this when when you talk to people that meditate a lot they just know it. Uh, they they know what we're talking about because it's something they've had direct experience with. All right. Well, so there are some folks that say that the feeling, the um, implicit experience precedes thought. So there is there's conflicting data and research and so forth. But what I think a lot of us agree upon is this point you are you're making most strongly, which is the choice point. Regardless of where the data, the experience, the response, the noticed material is originated from, right? Regardless, there is a, an aspect of being that it shows up on some radar that we're calling mind. Okay? You can call it the mind, body, the belly, brain, whatever it is. There is a choice point. Something's here. I'm noticing it. And now what am I going to do about it? That's what I feel like fully engaged is inviting us to do. Right? What are we going to do with this material? 
and are we going to use it to our advantage? Uh, are we going to discipline this experience we have with phenomenon that arises, correct? That's correct, yes. Okay. And, and yeah, go. go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is, you know, just to, to take a short snippet out of Fully Engaged, you know, there's the story in there <clears throat> about the concert pianist. You know, I was a, uh, for many, many years I was a concert piano technician, and I dealt with uh, the highest level pianist in the world for over 25 years. And there was a story that I, uh, I tell in the book about a, um, a pianist that I had to deal with who was who had the the um, the ability to be a very, very difficult person. And um, I don't want to go through the whole story uh, for time savings, but uh, I was put in a position where I was going to have to face this guy. He had prejudged the piano and me before he had met me. And when I had to meet him, I knew what this, the meeting was going to be like. I knew this guy was going to be very angry. He could be insulting. And so my point in, in context of what we're talking about here was because I was separate from when I got the phone call that said, you got to get in here and help and, and help us with this guy because he's really getting out of control. And this was I was at home and he was in the concert hall. So I had to make, um, because I was aware of my thoughts, my immediate thought was, oh, geez, you know, everything you would think about that you're going to be confronted with. But I, because I was aware of that and I was separate from those thoughts, I had the opportunity to make a choice. And in that opportunity, I said, if I could, uh, if I could behave any way I want in this situation, what would that be? That I had. And that was a choice that I made. And when I got in the situation, getting back to what we were just talking about, when this guy first started to confront me, his, it, like you slapping me in the face, it had no impact on me uh, because I was separate from it. Um, so that was the, the gift and the, uh, of the choice that I gained through meditation. Beautiful. All right, everybody. We're going to cultivate our ability to have choice points like that, whether it's somebody taking your parking spot, having your job, feel threatened, whatever it is. Don't worry. When we get back more and more and more with Thomas Sterner right here on Marion Live, Fully Engaged is the title of his new book. He's helping us how to be that when we get back. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've We've ordered ordered No More More Love Love Life Life Drama Drama for us. Shh. Over here. Here's a secret for a virus-free computer. ESET. They've been a pioneer in the antivirus industry for over 25 years. 25 years of innovative, top-rated antivirus protection. ESET's award-winning security solutions provide a safe online experience for over 100 million home and business computer owners. They are so affordable, fast, and simple to use. So be gone, you blue screen of death. ESET's on my computer. If it's not on yours, visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on ESET now. More exhilarating talk. HealthyLife.net Welcome back, everybody. We're so glad you're here. Are you still breathing? I sure hope so. 
because that's part of our practice, conscious breathing. Uh, if you're just joining us, Thomas Sterner's here. He's written a new book for us called Fully Engaged, Using the Practicing Mind in Daily Life. So, Thomas, during the break, we were talking about habits. How do we form habits? It's not so easy. I have to tell you, when um, my dentist told me that I could add 10 years to my life flossing, that seemed like, you know, or, or flossing regularly, I was like, God, it seems like such a simple thing. It takes two minutes. It took me months, really literally, of trying to trick myself, figuring it out, you know, just to change that one habit that could actually help me add years to my life. Why is it so hard for us? <laughs> well, I think, you know, it, one of the things we need to understand about habits is why why do we have habits? I mean, I, I, pretty much everything that we do is a form of a habit. You know, the way that we – it's not just physical things like how you take your golf club away on a you know, backswing. It's um, – it's how you behave in certain situations, how you make decisions. They're, they're all habituated. And why is that? Well, because from the brain standpoint, it takes much less processing to execute a habit than it does to engage in a lot of thinking. So the brain, I, you know, it's always on scan. It's looking for stuff that we repeat. And when we begin to repeat stuff, it basically says, oh, I can make this into a habit. And then it does that. And then it can let go of that processing, which opens it up to other things that would take time and i think it's a that i find that really fascinating now if you understand that then you can begin to make habits um that serve you because what you have to understand is you're always in a state of making a habit so um is what is the habit that you're making right now is that a habit that's going to serve your happiness or is it one that you're going to have to try to break later on mm -hmm. so i think that that's a really important thing to understand and then in terms of how long it takes you know to make a habit there it, you know i don't i haven't seemed to be able to find a consistent report on that it depends on um somewhat on your personality i think it also depends on how conscious you are in the intention of changing the habit. So you know, let's define practice. The way that I define practice is it's the repetition of a specific action with the conscious intention of accomplishing something. So it's, you know, we need the repetition, but we can repeat anything and make it into a habit. You know, we want the conscious um, intention of what we're trying to accomplish. That definitely speeds things up when we're, we're doing that. In golf, they've said things like, if you do this 60 times a day for 21 days, it will be um, an ingrained habit in your mind. So if you have to change something in your golf swing, then you just, you know, you can sit there. You don't have to be on the golf course. You can sit there in front of a mirror and just do it 60 times during the day, and it doesn't have to be 60 times all at once. It could be six groups of 10. Um, uh, the, the brain just begins to manufacture that into a habit. It creates a pathway with a synapsis and all that sort of thing. So I think that that's what, you know, what I tell people when you want to create a habit, and that what you were describing with your flossing is an attachment to the goal of when it was going to become a habit. And that attachment to me is what slows it down because what it does is it, it puts you at war with the process of creating the habit because you just keep thinking, well, when is this going to be a habit? And, um, you know, to me, if I were to say to you, all right, well, look, you need to do this, ten, you know, 60 times a day. Uh, you're not going to floss 60 times a day. But if I were to say to you, well, let's just say, okay, you got to floss three times a day. At three times a day, it's going to take you eight weeks for this to become a habit. So just I tell people, repeat and relax. Just repeat and relax. 
relax. If you repeat and relax, you know that what you're repeating with your conscious intention is becoming a habit. You can't stop it from becoming a habit. It's going to become a habit. So what, like I said, what you're describing is this frustration is coming from this this attachment to when it becomes a habit and this constant judgment, why isn't it a habit yet? Yeah, or so, beating yourself up. That's what right. I was doing. Like, oh, I can't do it. It's really hard. I don't have the discipline, blah, 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 right? It doesn't just stop with uh, one thing. It spirals. Well, and you actually, you could have been ahead of schedule. I mean, that's the thing that's, that's so, is, I just think so fascinating about it. I mean, in other words, you know, if you, if you say, uh, the example that I give is if someone, if you don't have enough data, then what happens is you start judging your progress based on fake data. So, like, if you said, I want to lose, uh, I want to lose 30 pounds, that should take 10 days. Well, it's not going to happen. But if that's where you start from, then what happens is, you know, five days into it, you've lost maybe seven pounds and you're doing really, really well. But, your judgment of the situation is that I'm not good at this. It's never going to happen. You have a feeling of lack of confidence, of giving up. But in reality, you're doing very well. You just don't have enough data to tell you that. So it's the same thing with the um, the flossing. You know, you kept thinking, I should be there by now. Well, maybe not. Like, uh, maybe it takes so many weeks in order for that to happen. You might have been right on schedule or even ahead of schedule, mm-hmm. but that wasn't your experience. I, I suggest that folks set themselves up to succeed, and it sounds like that's what you're talking about. By finding and uh, isolating accurate data, you're setting yourself up to succeed, right? That's right. And you can also, you have to also understand that mm-hmm. many times when you take all, when you start a new task like this, you may not be able to have all the data when you start out to know how long it should take. It may be something that um, is acquired over a period of time, and, and that's, all, that's also a possibility. Okay, well, let's start with I just want to sit for two minutes a day, which, frankly, for some people is a lot. How do they get the data they need? Let's just run somebody through this scenario. Well, you know, to me, if you want to sit, you know, two minutes goes by, you know, pretty quickly. You know, I have For you. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I think that, uh, well, I don't know. You know, two minutes a day, I think it, I think we'd have to say something more like ten minutes a day because I think for most people can could sit for two, two minutes a day. But I think if, they, if we said, look, I want you to start sitting ten minutes a day, I think people are so um, – their mind has so much momentum uh, that for them to sit there, they have this feeling of, I'm not, I'm just wasting time. I'm not doing anything. I'm not seeing results. I'm sitting here and I'm sitting here doing what? Watching my thoughts? It's just a waste of time. That's the conversation that people have with themselves because we're so programmed to be, quote, producing all the time. Okay. So that, you know, to me is the, um, the first thing is when you sit down is to make the, the decision that your life um, and your your health and your happiness are worth 10 minutes a day. And that's an adjustment that you may have to make because when I've been up in front of people talking, I have told them, you with all this stuff, you're going to find yourself at a fork in the road. And what is that fork in the road? Well, the fork in the road is I can go to the left. That's the path I've taken all my life, which is I don't feel like meditating or this takes too much time or you know, this is a waste. That's the fork you've taken over and over and over again. It's actually become a behavioral response. It's a habit. But you've realized, if you decided you want to do this, you've made a decision that that is not taking you. It's not taking you where you want to go. So that's now you need a procedure to get you through that moment where you're going to have that decision to make, to push you so you can get through the emotional response and go to the right. All right, when we get back, you're going to give us that procedure. And uh, ten minutes, people, not two, uh, unless you... Uh, 
I don't know, want to do two minutes. We'll try it. We're going to be gone for two minutes. Do some practice, and then we'll work our way up to ten. Don't touch that dial. Thomas Sterner's with us. Fully engaged when we get back right after these messages. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've ordered No More Love Life Drama for Us. MarianneLive.com is where you can go to keep up to date with what and where relationship expert, author, and radio host Marianne Camarado is appearing next. Besides Marianne's three radio shows weekdays on HealthyLife.net, you can find out details about upcoming or ongoing seminars and workshops. How about information for ordering copies of books or DVDs? That's also available at MarianneLive.com. Find out about core certification, certificate of responsible relationships www.marianlife.com core certification learning tools to attract build and sustain great relationships also sign up for marianne's newsletter to be informed about upcoming events and possible workshops or speaking engagements in the northern california area www.marianlive.com what does HealthyLife.net and Amazon.com have in common? Well, they're both available on the Internet. They both give great value. But most important, most of our positive program hosts and guests are accomplished authors. And their books are available from, you got it, Amazon.com. Now it even gets better than that. Because when you're listening on air to a HealthyLife.net host or guest, you can go directly to Amazon.com and you can order your book while you're still listening to your favorite HealthyLife.net program. So when you hear an author you like, go to the homepage of HealthyLife.net and click on Amazon.com. HealthyLife.net, the positive radio network. Everybody, we are back. We're so excited you're here. Do you have your pen, your paper, your recorder, whatever it is, because we're going to set you up to succeed. Ten-minute meditation. Thomas, how do we do it? Set us up here. Well, the first thing we have to do is we want to make this this conscious commitment with ourselves. This is a decision that this is what we want to do. We don't want to be trying to figure out that what you know. It's, if you go into it with this idea of I don't know, I guess I'll just give this a try. Well, see, then you're you're basically setting yourself up with a lack of commitment. So we want to have a commitment when we start this. We also want to have some sort of a procedure that we can use when we get to that fork in the road because we know that there's going to be this emotional response when we get to that fork which is going to say I don't feel like doing this I've been you know all the things the reasons we've come up with before that make us bail out of this so in order to get us through that that microsecond or maybe it's longer when we're having this feeling of doubt as a feeling of I just don't feel like doing this all those types of things we want a procedure that we can whatever that procedure is now I can't say it's going to be this or that because it's different for each person but a lot of times just by having that procedure that we can drop into, it allows 
allows us to separate ourselves from the situation. I can tell you as a pilot, you know, I have a pilot license. They teach you procedure after procedure after procedure for every emergency situation that you can think of. So that, And you go through them and you practice them. And the, why is that? Well, that's so that, you know, when the engine quits, you, you, instead of screaming all the way to the crash site, you have an idea of, oh, oh the engine quit. Here, this is what I do when that happens. And I think it's really very, very powerful to have a procedure to, to know yourself and to say, what am I going to do when I have that feeling? And then that feeling becomes the trigger. So as you get to that fork in the road and you have that feeling, you go, oh, there's the trigger. So And now I'm going to execute my procedure, which is going to be whatever you, you come up with. So if you were to take this out of this example for a second, it could be if you're trying to change the way you handle a specific person in your life that's difficult, the person walking into the room can be the trigger. And you have a procedure, and it's amazing when you do this how it separates you from the emotional content, uh, the indecisiveness, all that, because you don't have to make any decisions in that moment because you've already made them. All you're doing is executing what you've already decided, you've, and you've decided with yourself. You've agreed to yourself, when this happens, this is what I want to do. So that, to me, would be the, the um, something. These are all things you do. If you've never meditated, um, you know you're going to feel like not doing it sometimes. You know that you might get started in it, and if you say, I'm going to do this for 10 minutes, and then five minutes into it, you go, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, that's when you have this thing that you can drop back on. And then I think the other thing that's very important is to stop judging your practice. So if you do it and you only last five minutes the first time and you have to drop out of it, that's okay. You know, that, that's okay. You don't say, I'm a bad person, I'm not good at this. No, you just, you just constantly bring yourself back to the practice. And for me, that's the whole crux of what we're talking about. If you can, you're fully engaged if you can notice how you feel in that situation and you can bring yourself back into the present moment the next time you start your practice. The whole judgment thing to me is like the basketball player that has two foul shots, he makes the first shot and he misses it, and now he goes into this tirade in internally about how lousy is at this and you know you should have made it the team needed the point and blah 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 that has nothing to do with putting the ball through the hoop on the next shot and all it does is diminish his ability to perform and it also makes his experience terrible so that's what i think is very important is to not judge and if it takes you a little bit of time to work up to the 10 minutes um that's fine there's, there's no, this is not, um, we're not being graded on this. Uh, like I said, there is no bad meditation. The fact that you're making the effort, you've made the conscious choice to make the effort, you've thought about your procedure, you execute it, understand anything you do, whether it's playing a piece of music, swinging a golf club, shooting an arrow, you don't get it. It's not, you're always in a process of mastering. You don't master it on the first time. It's perfectly normal to be in a state of, Gathering data and experience, that's what you're doing. You're learning to experience how to stay in a meditation for 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. and each time you do it, you're like, hey, I did something, I did something. Oh, there was something, right? It, you, yeah. At least you got out there and you, you took a swing at it. All right, uh, we're coming up to the top of the hour. I love this mantra that you have, and it really is useful. I have a similar one. You call it, and then what? This can help us move through some pretty sticky situations. Talk about this real quick. Uh, and then what to me is something that I, you know, I just thought of within myself when I would feel myself getting very attached to the outcome of something, feeling like, you know, why do we get pulled out of the present? Because we want to be someplace other than we are because we feel incomplete in this moment and we feel like when we get to this place in the future, everything is going to be great and we're going to be happy. And so what I do is when I begin to feel that way, when I feel this discontentment in this moment and I feel like I just need to get to here and this, this, that feeling.
feeling is so fed by the media because they have connection to us 24-7 through television and mobile devices and everything, and, and that's how we, we're marketed stuff is to make us feel like you can't be happy right now. You can't be happy where you, you are. You have to get this. You have to achieve this. You know, all these things. And so we're just, we just suck all that stuff in, and it makes us feel like I'm, I just can't be happy where I am. So what I do when I notice that, and you'll, you can notice this as you do your thought awareness meditation training, you will begin to notice, hey, I'm having this feeling that I'm not, I'm incomplete and I need to get to there. Instead of just being in that feeling, you'll notice it. And that's when I ask myself, and then what? I see myself out there in the future. I see the goal completed. And I think to myself, okay, am I going to feel fully realized for the rest of my life after I have this job, this salary increase, I meet this person, whatever it is? Am I going to feel fully realized and completely happy for the rest of my life? Or, um, Will that pass? I will feel good for a while, and that will pass, and then it will be replaced by something else. Well, it will be replaced by something else because we've gone through this our whole life. And yeah. that, life has changed, constant change. And it's not a bad thing. We're meant to feel this way because it's what makes us grow. We're meant to want more. We're meant to, meant to want to achieve more. We just misinterpret it as something that we're supposed to feel unhappy about. But we are supposed to feel like, I want, I want to accomplish more. I want to do more. I want another challenge. That's, um, that's why we grow, and that's why we become more and accomplish more in our life. So it's not our enemy. It's just how we process it. Beautiful. Uh, folks want more information about Thomas Sterner. Absolutely. Go to TomSterner.com. Beautiful website, Tom. Uh, we're at the top of the hour. What do you want to leave us with today? Uh, you know, if I could leave you with anything, I would say that, you know, to me, the most important quality within yourself to develop is thought awareness. You, nothing that we've talked about today is possible if you don't learn to, sit, to be more identified with the witness in yourself. When you do that, you, it's the key to the prison door. It really allows you to look at how you're processing being in the process of whatever you're experiencing. And I think it's very, very important in terms of personal happiness and personal power. Absolutely. Well, you've transformed your life. You've made it possible for so many of us to do the same, cultivating a presence of being fully engaged. Tom, thanks for joining us today. Oh, uh, absolutely. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking with you. Same. Welcome back anytime here on Marian Live. All right, everybody, sit tight. We're going to be back for our wrap. In the meantime, TomSterner.com for more information. Yeah, take a moment. See if you can turn your attention inwards as we go to break. Back in just a minute. Hi, everybody. I'm relationship expert and radio talk show host, Marianne Camarado. And I'm David Raynaud. We want to talk to you for a minute about the changing world of dating and relationships and how self-inquiry can help. I mean, did you know that 44% of the U.S. population is single and over 50% end in divorce? Yet, we spend an average of one-third of our lives trying to find a great relationship or get help with the ones we already have. Yep, that's exactly why we created the first ever of its kind, the Great Relationships Begin Within Self-Inquiry Divination Deck, because we know what it takes to attract and create a healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationship. And it's really simple. Sit quietly, close your eyes, turn your attention inward, and draw a card. You can go online right now and get a free reading on Marianne Live and try out the cards. And for under $20, what better way to give yourself a gift of your own attention? We wish you every blessing. We'll see you next time. Check out MarianneLive.com.
stuff, stuff, stuff. Where can I contain all of my stuff? Hmm, how about this? The Container Store, the original storage and organization store. And I found their link on the HealthyLife.net advertiser page. They have containers for everything, including the kitchen, the bathroom, trash and recycling, traveling, spring cleaning, and dorm rooms. Just about everything you can think of to contain your stuff. The Container Store, right on the HealthyLife.net advertiser page. HealthyLife.net, where positive overcomes negative. Mindfulness practice you have, uh, hopefully today helped you expand or deepen your practice. Maybe you learned something new. Maybe you'll share something with somebody else today, which is a third part of our practice here on Marian Life. Go do something good for somebody else and don't let them know you did it. Perhaps sitting in a meta meditation, offering them your good thoughts and wishes for their health, prosperity happiness, and so forth. That's always a lovely gesture. No one will consciously know you did it unless you tell them. Um, so maybe try that out in the spirit of meditation. And please come back and join us next week. Uh, my friend and colleague David Bedrick will be here again. We are so excited to have him back. And his new book, Revisioning Activism, wow, you don't want to miss this program. It's really extraordinary. And as a practitioner, he is such a genuine and devoted soul uh, with so much wisdom to share. So we'll look forward to seeing you here. In the meantime, go to MarianLive.com for more information and check out all of the services and other available tools and tips and so forth we have for you, MarianLive.com. Okay, everybody, see you next time. I wish you every blessing. Until then.